So here we are on Epiphany Sunday, or as one of my friends in Lano used to say, Epiphany. I said, no, no, that, that's something different. That's really, no, we're not going there. So, uh, so this is uh, one of those days that uh, for most people, I think, it, uh, at least it seems to me, that you know, the only thing they think of is, oh, that's, that's the Sunday we sing We Three Kings. That's, that's all, that's about it. That's as far as it goes with folks. And uh, I, want, I want to suggest to you that it's really a lot more than that because uh, up here until fairly recently in church history, uh, Epiphany was actually the main celebration of the birth of Christ. Now, first off, Christmas is on the 25th of December. Epiphany, we set the date for the celebration on January 6th. There's 12 days there. That's the 12 days of Christmas. <clears throat> so I'm trying to help you get some parameters here. You understand that's, that's where it comes from. But um, uh, until, you know, not too long ago, Epiphany, January 6th, was actually the big celebration day. And if you're in an Eastern Orthodox church to this day, January 6th is the big celebration day because that's the day when we read the story about the wise men coming and bringing gifts, and that's the day on which they exchange gifts, not Christmas like we're used to. In fact, those of you that, that know church history will know that the Methodist Church in America organized, had their organizational meeting on Christmas Eve, because in the 1700s, Christmas Eve wasn't a big deal. Nobody had services on Christmas Eve. So, so our whole celebration of Christmas, the way that most of us have grown up with, is actually a fairly recent phenomenon, highly influenced by England and Germany, uh, and, and really doesn't reflect what most of the church has done for centuries. Uh, and so uh, what I really want to do this morning is spend a little time looking at Epiphany and talking about what it means and why it's important. Uh, and uh, kind of bring us back to that and understand uh, the power of this day and what we celebrate. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that your spirit would rest on us and that you would enlighten our minds and illumine our hearts. Uh, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you alone are our rock and redeemer. Amen. Now, the traditional reading, of course, is the, the, the reading of the kings, and there's a few things I'm going to do with as we kind of read through this and unpack a little bit. Uh, in, in the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. Now, I want to stop for a minute. Uh, there, there's actually two King Herods in the Jesus story, and, and so, you know, depending on whose timeline you read, there's a transition that takes place there from the greater to the lesser, but... Uh, it depends on whose timeline it is. But it doesn't really matter for the purposes of what most of us do when we're reading Scripture because both King Herods were ruthless butchers. Um, and, I, and I mean that in the most evil sense you can think of. Uh, these were people who had no problem thinking that if their son or daughter or whoever was a threat to their throne, uh, they would have them killed. Uh, so they butchered most of their immediate family and quite a few of their extended family. Uh, they were ruthless and heartless. You know, think ISIS, whatever, uh, you know, helps you get that image in your mind. These are, 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 are rough people. They're difficult people to deal with. Uh, after Jesus was born, we don't really know what that time was. Um, we celebrated on the 6th of January because, you know, we had to have a date to set it somewhere. But we don't really know when, after Jesus was born, the wise men showed up. Uh, based on other kinds of historical things, we think it was within the first two years of his life, but it could have been pretty much any time within that span of time. So we don't know for sure. Uh, we just had to pick a day to celebrate it, so January 6th was the day the church chose to celebrate this event. But don't hear that as a literal, oh, you know, they actually showed up 12 days exactly after he was born. It was sometime within the first uh, 12 years of his life, I mean, first two years of his life. 
After he's born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east, the east being Persia, came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at his rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened. Remember, King Herod has killed his family members that he thought was a threat. So now they're coming and talking about somebody that's born king of the Jews. So, you know, you can imagine all the little red flags going off in his head. And all Jerusalem was frightened with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophets, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel, which is actually just a quote of Micah, uh, where you see this uh, exact prophecy coming forth. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. Which really means, bring me word so that I can go kill him. Uh, When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star. They had seen it as rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chest, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. Now let me unpack a little bit of this. Uh, First off, the the epiphany comes from the Greek word uh, epiphanos. That's the actual word used in Scripture. Uh, <clears throat> which means to shine light upon or across something, to reveal something. And, and if you want to get the exact image, uh, it's when you drop something on the floor and you can't find it, and you get a flashlight, right? And you lean down and you shine it across the floor, right? You've all done that? That's epiphanos, shining light across. It makes things pop up so you can see them. That's exactly what the, the intent here, uh, that, that somehow or another in this moment, you know, the light shines on Christ and reveals him to be the Son of God, But there's a double meaning, because in him, the light of God also shines out into the world, revealing God to the world. So it's it's, uh, the shining upon revelation. Uh, And, you know, go back to John 1, right? The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. It's pulling that image forward. Uh, We have in this uh, the Magi, that's literally what the word is uh, for the wise men, who would have been uh, priests of Zoroaster or pseudo-Zoroaster, which is an arcane historical thing you don't really need to worry about. Uh, It's a generic term for the people who were academics of that age out of the region of Persia. Uh, These are the scholars of the day. Now, that's a little different than we think of scholarship. Uh, You know, mathematics, uh, chemistry, kind of leaning towards alchemistry. Uh, and, and astronomy and astrology, but not astrology in the horoscope sense of astrology. Uh, as my friend Daryl Statler used to say, you know, there's a reason your horoscope appears on the comics page of the newspaper. <laughs> Think about it. Uh, uh, the, the understanding of that day was, you know, the heavens are up here, the heavenly realms are up here, and then there's domes underneath that between the heavens and the earth. And, and the moon, the stars, and so forth were, were openings in those domes that let the light of the heavens come through. And so anytime you saw a change of substance in the night sky, that was a sign of heavenly activity of some kind. You know, the divine was doing something. And so these men, these magi, they're experts on the night sky and watching it. Because anytime something changes, you know, they consider that to be, you know, a sign that that God is up to something. 
So they are the ones who spot the star uh, and, and follow it uh, and, uh, to Jerusalem. Now, I mean, to, uh, yeah, to Jerusalem and to Bethlehem. Now, now, the star is another thing. There's been a lot of debate about this over the years. I mean, and I, I, depending on when you put Jesus, when you date Jesus' birth and so forth and so on, there's all kinds of explanations. A few years ago, a gentleman, a professor at A&M, thank you, I'm giving you a freebie this morning, uh, name of Frederick Larson. He's actually a professor of law. He's a lawyer. He's a professor of law. Uh, got into this and dug into this kind of a personal project. And he actually did a bunch of research on it. And he's produced a deal called Star of Bethlehem. Uh, Dave Williams uh, can tell you all about it. Dave knows real well. You can find it online. There's a, a website for it and everything. And, uh, and he actually did a, a lot of really good work uh, because one of the things is the star has to appear at the right time, but then it also has to move. Did you notice that? They follow it, and it comes where it stops over Bethlehem, implying that it's been moving. So there's movement in this, and how do you account for all of this? And the different theories would cover part of it, but not all of it. And he uh, actually did some research and looked at astronomical tables and so forth and ascertained that it actually was a triple conjunction of the planets Jupiter, Venus, and the star Regulus. And that if you did that together, it actually would appear and move uh, at the right times uh, appropriate for Scripture. Uh, and so he's put together this, uh, it's, it's a presentation, I guess to call it, Dave, uh, called Star of Bethlehem. And, and uh, if you have a chance to watch it, I think Searcher's class has seen the video. Uh, you know, it, it's fascinating work, but it actually is a very good explanation of, of what the star was. Now, you know, people sometimes get wound out about this. Remember, what does Psalm 19 say? The, the heavens are declaring the glory of God, right? I mean, God speaks through the heavens. Remember Jesus when he's walking into Jerusalem uh, uh, on uh, <clears throat> Palm Sunday? And the scribes and the Pharisees say, you know, tell your followers to be quiet. And he says, you know, even if I told them all to be quiet, the stones we're walking on would start to shout. I mean, the, 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 the point being that, you know, the, the, the heavens and the earth and everything is, is pointing, is pointing. God's using them to point to this birth as an event of significance. And, and then you start thinking about all the passages of Old Testament Scripture and the prophecies. And I'm just going to touch on a few of the mm, familiar kinds of pieces here. There's a bunch more than this. Uh, this Isaiah passage, those of you who know, uh, listen to the Messiah, you know, will remember this. I mean, a child's been born for us, a son given to us, authority rests on his shoulder. He's named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His authority shall grow continually. There shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time onward and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The child out of the house of David, this theme that runs through all of these. Uh, Isaiah is sometimes called the fifth gospel. Incidentally, the, the prophecies of Isaiah are so strong. Uh, a shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse. Who's Jesse? David's father, thank you. Right, so again, this is an affirmation of the house of David. Shoots shall come out from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of its roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge, the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips. He shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist. Faithfulness, the belt around his loins. The wolf shall live with the lamb. The wolf shall live with the lamb. Not the lion. This is, I, 
I don't know, you know, Seguin had this wonderful painting of the lion lying down with the lamb, and I pointed out to them, you know, it actually talks about the wolf and the lamb. That's what it, the scripture actually says, and then they got mad at me. Um, the, the wolf shall live with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. On that day the root of Jesse, out of the house of David, shall stand as a signal to the peoples. The nation shall inquire of him, and his dwelling shall be glorious. Now, think over to Revelation 21 in the description of the holy city of Jerusalem. And the dwelling place of God. Talk about glory. Here's, here's this connection looking forward to the very end of ages. This glorious dwelling of Christ. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom. The crocus, it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands. Make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are of a fearful heart, be strong. Do not fear. Here is your God. He will come with vengeance, with terrible recompense. He will come and save you. Hold on to that phrase, save you, for now. Put that back here in the back there. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy, all things that Christ would do. For water shall break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert, the burning sand shall become a pool, the thirsty ground springs of water, the haunt of jackals shall become a swamp, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. Those are all resurrection images. A highway shall be there, and it shall be called the holy way. The unclean shall not travel on it, but it shall be for God's people. No traveler, not even fools, shall go astray. Even if your GPS is wrong, you will not go astray on this way. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Again, go to Revelation 21. The Lord will be with them. He will be their God. They will be with Him. He will be with them. And, and, and death will go away, and sorrow and sighing He'll wipe away every tear. All of those things will go away because they're of the former kingdom, and they will be no more. That reaching forward to that, that fulfillment at the end of time. And then our friend Jeremiah, the days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. In Matthew's gospel, when the angel appears to Joseph to announce to him about the birth of Christ and Joseph is wrestling with that, the angel tells him, you know, okay, you're not going to be able to talk until the kid comes along. But here's the deal. When the child is born, you're going to name him Jesus, Joshua, Yeshua in Hebrew, which means he saves his people. Isaiah when Isaiah says he will come and he will save you, the word is Yeshua. When Jeremiah says the Lord is our righteousness, the word is Yeshua. The name of Jesus echoes from the prophets of the Old Testament into the gospel of the New Testament and connects. And then Zechariah. Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes to you triumphant and victorious as he 
humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall command peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. This is the passage that, that talked about when Jesus rides into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. And, and the quote in Matthew's gospel is interesting because Matthew depending on which text you actually read of the ancient text. And some of them, I guess the language scrambled a little bit. So in some of them, he's like this. You know, he's riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. In other ones, he's riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And I always had this image growing up, you know, like the circus people with the two horses, you know, riding in. That's kind of how it was. But actually, it's just, it's just a corruption of the text. Uh, the idea is he rides in on, on a colt, not even a full-grown donkey, but a colt because of humility. Uh, that picture that comes out of the prophet Zechariah. I mean, all these, all these Old Testament passages joining together with the heavens, joining together with the stones of the ground, everything pointing to this amazing event in the birth of Christ where there is this conversions. Please move forward. Mm, maybe not. There it goes. Where everything moves forward to this event with the birth of Christ to tell us that this is not, not an ordinary event. This is, this is not the birth of just another teacher. Uh, this is not the birth of just a prophet. This is not the birth of just someone else who's going to tell us about God, but rather that God, the light of God, the life of God itself has been enfleshed and come into the midst of the world. Everything points that this is God himself. The light of God is born in the world and shines out. I mean, when Jesus speaks, he speaks with authority that is unique. He reveals God to us in a way that is unique. No other religious faith makes the same claim. I mean, Jesus is not simply another person coming to tell us about God. He is God himself coming to reveal himself to us. Jesus is not just another teacher coming to teach us about the truth, one truth among many, but Jesus is the truth itself enfleshed in the midst of us, and he is the truth, God's truth, by which all other truths are judged and compared. Jesus is not just a way of living, but he is the way that God intended for us to live, who comes to show us the way to be God's people, that we can be who God created us to be and intends for us to be. Jesus is not just another life on the face of the earth, but he is the very life of God that comes into the midst of the earth that enlivens us with each breath we take from this time into the end of eternity. There is a uniqueness to this revelation that overshadows everything else. And this is the claim of Epiphany. That the light has come into the midst of the world. Now, I know in the midst of our culture and, and, and the way we live, sometimes we're, we're kind of care, cautious and careful about that because we don't want to offend people, we don't hurt people. And it's, it's hard to understand. How do, you, how do you proclaim the uniqueness of this revelation you know, without making it feel like you're discounting someone else? And, and, and that is a challenge that we have to live with and, and wrestle with. But it doesn't change the uniqueness of the revelation. Because this is not simply another religious leader. This is not simply a truth among truths. This is not somebody else talking about God. This is God himself. Sharing himself with us. There's a wonderful story in a 
Luke's gospel that takes place at the temple in Jerusalem on the, uh, <clears throat> the firstborn son of a family on the eighth day of his life was supposed to be taken to the temple and consecrated to service of the Lord. And so on the eighth day, Mary and Joseph take Jesus to the temple and there's an old gentleman there by the name of Simeon. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people of Israel. Now, I want you to remember, it's really important. You know, here's, here's the temple. People are coming and going. You know, it's, it's kind of a mass. You know, people are in and out. It's not like we do here where we all come at a certain time. You know, people are coming and going and all this. And, and here comes Joseph and Mary with Jesus, this infant, and they're bringing him in. And, and, and Simeon spots them. The Spirit guides him to them. And he takes that child and, and holds him. And, and, and Jesus is eight days old. He hasn't spoken a word. He hasn't done any mighty acts. He's not done anything yet. And Simeon holds him and says, Okay, Lord, I can die in peace now. Right? You promised me I would see salvation before I go. I've seen it. I can die in peace. I don't need to see anything else. I've seen the face of salvation. Now I want to ask you something. Can you live with that level of confidence? I mean, Jesus hasn't done anything yet. But Simeon knows, trusts, has confidence that this child he owes is the very gift of God's salvation for the world. And he trusts that enough that he's willing to say, okay, take me now. God, you don't need to do anything else for me because I've seen the face of salvation. I'm ready to go. Can you live with that level of confidence? I mean, I'm thinking, as we come into 2018, isn't that the way we need to live? I mean, have you ever thought about the, the, these wise men that come and they, and they bring their gifts? I don't know if you, how many wise men were there? 17. We, like, we don't know, actually. It doesn't say, does it? Uh, there might have been two. There might have been 17. Uh, we, we don't know. I mean, I, 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 and, and we often picture them, you know, like three camels with three guys on them. But actually, these are very um, well-respected men, probably very wealthy men. So there's probably like a whole entourage, like 50 people, maybe 100 that was coming. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a big deal. And they come in and, and they bring these gifts. Have you ever thought about the gifts? Myrrh. Myrrh's the analgesic of the day. It was put on the sponge, remember, and, and offered to Jesus when he's on the crucifixion. It represents the suffering and crucifixion of Christ. Frankincense, the, the fragrant oil that was used to anoint him uh, by the women and, and, and then also in his death to prepare him for burial. It represents the death and the burial of Jesus Christ. Gold, the, the, the metal that doesn't corrode or, or corrust or ever go away, which was oftentimes, you know, that's where, why people wear gold rings. You know, it, was, it was hammered into a circle and it represents eternal life. I mean, the gifts that they bring represent Christ's crucifixion, death, and resurrection. 
and they bring them to him at his birth. I mean, do we live with that kind of confidence? Can we be like them? Can we be like Simeon? Can we live as people with that level of confidence? I mean, 2017 to me seemed to be a year where we made it really clear how anxious and fearful we were. We made it really clear how little we trusted in God. We let all of our idolatry about our things and what we thought was important overtake us. Maybe 2018 is the year that we need to hear Epiphany and be serious about it. To live with confidence into this. To be like Simeon. To be able to say, you know, Lord, you don't need to do anything else for me. <laughs> I, know, I know that you've brought salvation. That's all I need to know. I'm good. Maybe 2018 needs to be that way. We were, uh, we were in New York with the choir right around Thanksgiving time, which was really fun, incidentally, and wonderful and musically amazing. And, uh, and Cindy and I went to church. Sunday night at uh, Hillsong Manhattan, Hillsong, New York, in the Hammerstein Theater on 34th Street, and, uh, and got to go there uh, since our daughter was with Hillsong in Sydney for a while. We wanted to go there to worship, and we got to hear Carl Lentz preach. Carl's the pastor there, and he's got a book out, uh, his first book, and in his introduction to his book, he writes these words, I am an out-of-the-closet, flamboyantly outspoken follower of Jesus. This matters because every single thing I do or say or write comes directly through the lens of my faith, which is solely and completely rooted in Jesus Christ. This is not my religion. This is my relationship with God. Huge difference. He did not come to be a nice addition and to, quote, make your life better. Jesus is salvation. He is the prize. He is the answer. He claimed to be God, and I believe he is. I followed Jesus because he saved my life and has given me a new life, and he is the only one that can change our eternal destination. Maybe 2018 is the year for us to become out of the closet, flamboyantly outspoken followers of Jesus Christ. To let everything we do or say be written through the lens of a faith that is solely and completely grounded in Jesus Christ. That it not be our religion. That it be our relationship with God. And brothers and sisters, I'm suggesting to you that 2018 needs to be the year of Simeon needs to be the year of epiphany where we go out from this place and say lord you don't need to do anything else for us because we've seen the arrival of your salvation amen amen, amen.